Good afternoon, Storehouse. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. The scripture reading for today will come from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Paul writes, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good afternoon. I hope that y'all are doing well. If you are new, my name is Marco, and I serve as the preaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. In the event that you didn't catch the other Marco, who we lovingly call Tokayo, uh, we will find ourselves in 2 Corinthians, this is in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. We're looking at verses 1 through 9. And we have a lot to unpack this afternoon, so if you're cool, I'd like to just dig right into our time. I don't know how much church history you know or some of the figures from church history, uh, but there's one uh, German reformer in the 16th century. His name is Martin Luther. I always make fun of him, calling him Marty Loons, because not a lot of people know him, and it's okay. That's not a big deal. But here's what he says uh, about money, right? Here's what, here's what he wrote. He says, people go through three conversions, the conversion of their head, the conversion of their heart, and the conversion of their wallet. We're going to be talking about money today, so brace yourselves. Money, depending on the church, can be a challenging topic. For instance, the church as a whole isn't exactly well-trusted by many. Everything from fraud and corruption to improper use of funds are found in the church and often exploited in the media, and lots and lots of people are hurt. So that's strike one. Secondly, depending on your experience or perspective of the church, you may think or may feel as though preachers always want your money. According to one prosperity preacher, Jesse Duplantis, when raising the funds for a new $54 million jet, he went on to say, if Jesus was physically on the earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. So that's strike two. But then thirdly, money is challenging because it's so personal. See, Martin Luther was on to something because we believe, even as Christians, that our money belongs to us. In other words, it supplies more than just our basic needs and enjoyment, but money is evidence of stability and status. And so that's strike three. 
At the end of it, when it really comes down to it, money, more than other things, cuts directly into what's going on in our hearts. And so today, we're going to begin a new sermon series where over the next three weeks, we're going to examine two chapters uh, of the Apostle Paul's letter, uh, second letter to the Corinthians. And so before we get to the text, let me give you a few reasons as to why we're doing this series. The first one is pretty simple. We rarely talk about money or generosity from the pulpit. Most of the time, when we do talk about generosity or money or giving, however you want to call it, most of the time, well, let's just call it what it is, right? Most of the time when we talk about money, it tends to be in the text or it's specific to, for instance, something having to do with our values or it's found in whatever epistle we're walking through. And the reason for this is because money is, again, a sensitive topic. It, it certainly has been for me, especially at the start of our church. That was something I kind of didn't want to preach about. It was just, I want to talk about the gospel, and that's let's just get that right, and there's glorious truths to be unpacked there. But at the same time, uh, money scares a lot of preachers. But if the gospel is a message that shapes healthy and whole disciples of Jesus, why don't we talk about this area of our lives that we all experience anyway? Therefore, when it comes to this topic, it's actually an opportunity of discipleship in our church. As you'll see in the passage momentarily, Paul tells the Corinthians to excel in this grace also, meaning that because the gospel shapes healthy and whole disciples of Jesus, money is not separate from our spiritual growth and maturity. Secondly, and this is twofold, I have two goals in mind during this series. This act of grace, the name of the series, is meant to disciple us to learn where we're giving from and what we're giving to. Where we're giving from and what we're giving to. To the first goal, my primary, yeah, my primary aim is that we would increase our giving involvement so that we are giving from generous hearts that have been shaped by grace. Our fundamental understanding of money doesn't actually begin with our wallets, but what we believe about grace. Practically, not because I look, but practically, I know there isn't 100% involvement in this act of grace of generosity and giving. Therefore, I want this series to be something or the start of something normal in the church. Not that I'm going to be preaching on money every single month. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm not going to shy away from it either. I'm not going to shy away from it just like we don't shy away from other biblical subjects every time we encounter a new series. Money is a biblical topic, so let's treat it as one rather than casting it off somewhere not to be discussed. Secondly, if that's where we're giving from, generous hearts that have been shaped by grace, now we're going to consider that giving from generous hearts informs what we're giving to. Yes, we're giving to the Lord, but specifically to areas that we desire to grow in and are growing in. In the last year, and I don't want to tell, like, unpack it all in one sermon because I'm going to be doing it over the course of the next three weeks, but in the last year, the Lord has been so kind and generous to our church, particularly in our smaller gatherings where we're seeing growth in a number of ways from maturity to new Christians. We're seeing growth in our community groups, in our kids' ministry, the establishing of a student ministry next spring, counseling and care efforts, whether it's individuals or families. This is huge because they're all discipleship and care opportunities. 
but practically they're not sustainable by a group of volunteers. We're looking to, Lord willing, hire another staff member in the future. More on that at the members' meeting. Apart from that, our contract here at Valley Community, they've been so kind, so generous, so sweet to us here, this contract ends in 14 months. So we've begun to already consider other locations that have a much more permanent feel to it, which means no four o'clock, which would be awesome. (laughs) But with that being said, statistically, going back to the morning implies growth. With that, that means new avenues of discipleship and care and counsel and connection, not to mention the opportunity for church planting endeavors. All of this is wonderful news because God is doing a work here at Storehouse McAllen, and we want to steward that work well, but we also want to steward those finances well in order to accomplish the mission that he has called us into. And so you might be thinking, as soon as I give you that, like, ha, there is a catch. And yes, the catch is that we need to begin with our understanding of grace first when it comes to our wallets. Grace motivates generosity, and if we're going, or excuse me, if we're not growing in generosity, then according to the Apostle Paul, it implies that we have a poor or a lack of understanding in the gospel. Finally, and I just want to be super clear, we're walking through this series as an opportunity for discipleship, not because we're scrambling. Oftentimes, when it comes to churches who uh, sometimes do series on, on, on money or finances, it's because something's going wrong. And by God's grace, we're actually in a really decent position financially. Giving is up 10% more from what it was last year. We have, by God's grace, always closed every year in the black, and we have a very healthy savings account. So, I'm not scrambling, I'm discipling. And so here's your main idea then. When it comes to generosity, I want you to know that it's not just a reflection of what we've been given, but a reflection of having given ourselves entirely to Jesus. Therefore, as we look at this first section in 2 Corinthians 8, we're going to examine three observations concerning generosity the source of generosity, the shape of generosity, and the signal of generosity. The source of generosity, the shape of generosity, and finally, the signal of generosity. So let me pray, and then we'll look at the opening verses. Father God, we give you praise, and we give you our hearts this afternoon. By the grace of your word, Shape our hearts in a way that is pleasing to you, in a way that your work is evident in us to others. God, we need you today. More than the words of this sermon, we need you. We need wisdom, so we ask you to give us wisdom. We need challenge, so we ask you to challenge us. We need change, so we're asking you to change us by your grace. This afternoon, may our ears be receptive and may our hearts be put on the table as we continue to worship you through your word. Amen. 
Well, let me give you a little bit of context as to what's going on, at least in these two chapters. Again, this is the second letter to the Corinthians, and Paul is writing to them because he's at some point picking up a collection, an offering that he's going to be taking to Jewish Christians or to the Jewish church in Jerusalem. If you consider Acts 24, Acts 24 kind of unpacks a little bit of what's going on at the Jerusalem church. Um, This conversation about the collection that Paul is picking up was actually brought up to the Corinthians at the end of his first letter to them, where they were on board financially toward the relief of those saints. And so here's what he writes to them at the end of his first letter to them. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of the week, each of you has put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be collecting, no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So he's collecting, uh, he's, he's getting an offering, a collection from a bunch of churches, the ones in Galatia, the Corinthians, so that he can take to Jerusalem. So that's what's going on, and he's kind of following up on them. And so here, <clears throat> Paul begins by sharing a story with the Corinthians before he dives into statistics, which I love, right? He wants to show them how good God is. And so Paul wants the Corinthians to first know what the source of generosity is. So let's consider the first two verses. Paul goes on to say, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. Paul begins by sharing that generosity begins with the grace of God. Often we look at the grace of God as undeserving favor from God towards sinners like you and me, and that is a glorious truth. This was most demonstrated through the sinless life and substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross to save us. Grace comes with the forgiveness of sins, praise God, and Grace also transforms people. Here, Paul uses the Macedonians as an example of transformation. When it comes to the Macedonians, this would have included a lot of churches. The Bereans, they're found in Acts 17. The Philippians, Paul wrote an entire letter to them. And finally, the Thessalonians. And if you were with us in the spring, we walked through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians all spring. And so this is what he means, or this is who he's referring to when he mentions the churches in Macedonia. And Paul writes that they have been so shaped by grace that it motivated their giving in spite of their circumstance. See, the Macedonians saw themselves as saints before sufferers. That's transformational. Once more, let's complete the the, the verses. The grace of God that was given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So these churches are experiencing hardship, affliction, persecution. When we walked through uh, 1 Thessalonians, we learned that many of their friends have died, family members have died, they have been rejected, they're being persecuted by their own countrymen. And so Paul is using them as an example because for them, this gift, this generous giving was shaped by grace and not their circumstance. 
To give you a little bit more context, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, you became imitators of us, who he's speaking specifically to the Thessalonians, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction. This is all the persecution that they were experiencing with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Paul writes that the grace of God is what motivated their giving. He goes on to add, out of an abundance of joy and extreme poverty. That sounds like an oxymoron. To the Macedonians, grace wasn't determined by earthly arithmetic, but heavenly conviction. Here's the point. Their circumstance didn't determine their generosity. Grace did. Grace is what determined their generosity. Paul adds that because of this, they received a wealth of generosity. Paul never gives numbers, and you're not going to see numbers in these two chapters. Paul never gives numbers because it wasn't about the amount. It was about the sacrifice. See, oftentimes, we as Christians, especially in the States, believe that when it comes to giving especially, uh, we'll do it when we're in a new season of life, a different season of life. We'll do it when we finally get that promotion. We'll do it when things settle. We'll consider it when we're finally caught up on certain things. We'll become generous when we get a real job. Not McDonald's, but a real job. We'll do it when we get any job. Look to the Macedonians. Is generosity determined by your circumstance, or is it determined by God's grace for you. The source of generosity isn't your wallet, it's the grace of God. Next, let's consider the shape of generosity. In other words, what does it look like? If grace is the source of our generosity, that's awesome. What does this look like? How does this shape our understanding of generosity, of how we view our finances? What, is, what does it look like? Here, this is all found in verses 3 through 7. Here's the first thing I want you to know. That grace shapes willing sacrifice, right? Beginning in verse 3, Paul writes, For they, he's still telling them about the story about the Macedonians, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Grace shaped the generous giving of the Macedonians so much that they gave according to their means. In other words, they gave what they could, they gave what they were able to uh, scrape up, but then check it. Paul is almost surprised by this, and he goes on to say, and beyond their means, meaning once they collected some green for the Jewish Christians, they were like, you know what, this isn't enough, we could do more. Further, look at how Paul concludes that first, uh, verse 3. He says, according to their means, I can testify beyond their means 
of their own accord, meaning that this wasn't something that Paul was telling them to do. This wasn't a command. Their generosity was a willing sacrifice. For the Macedonians, it wasn't so much, what do I have to give up so that we can help these Christians? For the Macedonians was, man, how much does God want me to be generous? How can I be generous in light of what God is doing? Generosity doesn't begin with what I want, but with what God wants. It always begins with God questions. And this is evidence by the next verse. So let's look at verse four. Paul writes, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this was not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So for the Macedonians, giving was, or, or generous giving was, was willing sacrifice, but it was also a privilege. See, from the looks of it, it doesn't seem as though Paul was even intending to include them in this, let's call it campaign, right? It doesn't even look like he was including them because more than likely, he probably thought that they were already being put through the ringer, right? The, 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 the excuse me, the Thessalonians, when it came to them and their affliction, like their families are dying, their friends are abandoning them, they're in hardship, they're experiencing like real persecution at the hands of their countrymen. When it came to the Philippians, there's false teaching happening in the church, there's arguing happening within the church. When it comes to the Bereans, there's a bunch of affliction that is recorded in Acts. And so Paul was probably thinking, not only are they poor, but uh, I'm probably not gonna invite them to do this because they're already in the weeds of persecution. And yet what we read here is that Paul seemed to be surprised because these churches begged him and his team for the privilege of participating in order to bring relief to the saints. The Jerusalem church, brothers and sisters in the faith, check it, that they've never even met. They were chomping at the bits to participate, to bring relief to these saints. Their duty of Generosity was their delight. And so how did they get to this place? The key is in verse five. So Paul says, and this, they're, they're begging to be a part of this, and this, not as we expected, so he's kind of surprised, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. That's the key. How are they so generous they gave themselves to the Lord first. This is a matter of priority for the Macedonians. I, I think that part of the reason that many of us find ourselves frustrated with various seasons of life or we might find ourselves in a place where we're not right with God is because we've allowed ourselves to be shaped by something apart from the gospel. And that began the minute the Lord wasn't a priority or wasn't the priority. For the Macedonians, their lives weren't just shaped by grace, it was inscribed into their hearts through the work of Jesus for them. For the Macedonians, the gospel, this message of salvation, this power of transformation was deeply rooted in them. Does the gospel the grace of God for you through Jesus impact every aspect of your life or only that which you're willing to share? 
So the shape of generosity is that it's a willing sacrifice. It is a privilege. But generous giving is also a part of discipleship. Verses 6 and 7, Paul says, Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul moves from example now, for the Macedonians, he moves from example to encouragement. He shifts now from the sharing of a story about the Macedonians to now addressing the Corinthians directly. And he brings up Titus, something that Titus is headed to the Corinthians. This is one of the guys that was on his team. He was discipled by Paul. He went on several of his trips with Paul. He was a church planter. Paul wrote an entire letter to him. It's in the New Testament. Check it out. It's a wonderful letter. Paul writes that Titus went to the Corinthians to complete among you this act of grace. In other words, Titus's job wasn't just to follow up with them, but to disciple them in this area of growth. To disciple them to see that this act of grace, they were being shaped by it. Titus was to help them grow and mature in this area. The Corinthians were a spiritually curious church. That's a nice way of saying it. When you consider Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, though they're wilding out a bit, they had earnest curiosity for a variety of things. Spiritual gifts, the work of the Holy Spirit, and so much more. And Paul loves the Corinthians, loves them. And he addresses so many things to them in that first letter. Everything from sex, marriage, the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, food sacrifice to idols. He's, he's, he loves them and he wants them to grow and thrive. And in some ways, we can be like the Corinthians. We can be really spiritually curious about a variety of things. And here, here's where the rubber meets the road of our curiosity. Paul compliments them. Paul encourages them when it comes to areas that they are growing in. Right? Once more, going back to verse six, no, verse seven. As you excel in everything, hey, you're doing awesome. You're growing in these areas. You're growing in faith. They're trusting God, their view of God, his work done for them through Jesus. He's like, man, you're growing in your faith. Keep going. As you excel in your speech, the way in which you talk to one another, the way in which you serve one another, keep going. You're growing in your knowledge, right? You're, you're having your Bible study. You're memorizing scripture. You journal with a cup of coffee in the morning. Keep going. You're doing great. You're engaging spiritual disciplines. Praise God. Keep growing. He says, excel, continue to excel in your earnestness. That is their passion. Man, I want you to be a passionate church. Keep growing. He encourages them to continue to grow in their love, their devotion toward one another. And Paul, as a spiritual dad, he's telling them, he's encouraging them, grow in these things that you've been growing in. Keep going. And make sure that you excel in this act of grace also. Meaning that generosity isn't separate from the rest of their spiritual health and development. Generosity isn't something separate from their spiritual maturity. It's a part of it. What keeps us from growing in this area? 
What keeps us from giving eagerly, generously, and wholeheartedly to the Lord? Another old guy named John Calvin, Johnny Calves, here's what he says. For what makes us more close-handed than we ought to be is when we look too carefully and too far forward in contemplating the dangers that may occur, when we are excessively cautious and careful, when we calculate too narrowly what, will, what we will require during our whole life, or in fine, how much more, or excuse me, how much we lose when the smallest portion is taken away. Here's what he's saying. We think we're on our own. What keeps us from giving wholeheartedly, from giving generously, from giving regularly? What keeps us just from being generous? We think we're on our own. We start to consider all the what-ifs. And when you start to consider all the what-ifs, all of the fear comes up, not to mention the things that we want, the desires that we have, that money can purchase. And then our fear leads us to keep more and more for ourselves. Generosity is a spiritual discipline shaped by the spiritual truth of God's word. It's a discipline inspired by devotion. If we're going to normalize generous giving in the church, then we must see this as a discipleship issue or a discipleship opportunity. If we're going to normalize generosity, it's because we have a fundamental grasp of God's grace for us. One of the things that I don't do very well is give stories. That is, telling you all of the things that are going on in the church, especially behind the scenes. Right? I'm not going to do that now. I'm not going to tell you every single story. But I'll give you three really quick ones. Let me tell you what's going on in our church because of your generosity. I'll go big, and then I'll make one really specific, starting with yesterday. Yesterday was Saturday, right? Okay. Yesterday, we had this thing called a leadership collective. We're going to be doing this quarterly. And yesterday, it consisted of Sunday afternoon uh, ministry leaders and some of the members from their team. The whole point of that collective was to get together so that they can have space to work through a bunch of things that they have going on in each of their ministries, from worship to production to kids to hospitality and so on. Here's what's so cool about that. Because of your generosity, you gave them the space to work together. You give them the space to push back on one another so that they would grow in their ministry, but also they're doing those things because they're thinking of you specifically. They're not just thinking about you because this is a job. They're thinking about this, but they're thinking about you because they want to point you to Jesus. When it comes to the band, yes, they are gifted musicians, right? And it's not just because they're gifted musicians. They're pointing you to grace. And so in spaces like that, they're constantly thinking about, man, how is this going to affect? How is this going to disciple? How is this going to honor? How is this going to encourage our church? When it comes to community groups, last week you, we brought up a couple of guys, John and Tony, and we just planted them, one in North Edinburgh, another one in North McAllen, which means they get to minister to people in their groups, our community groups alone. That means leaders, volunteers, by the way, all of these are volunteers, 
right? CG leaders are regularly opening up their homes so that they would not only demonstrate hospitality, but engage our church in discussion as they gather to grow in God's word together. And so your generosity allows them to get trained, allows them to have resources to do as best as they can in care and discipleship. And those are like ministries, and you're like, well, yeah, I get that. But these kinds of ministries have impact on you. They shape you. Earlier this week, got a story from one of our uh, members. She was, uh, she was at work, and this is, I think, a day or two after last week's sermon on discipleship. If you remember, discipleship is meeting people where they are and taking them where Jesus wants them to be, right? And it was like, if you've been a Christian for five minutes, I want you to find someone who, uh, who, who, who you could teach whatever you've learned in five minutes to, right? And this is exactly what happened. <laughs> she was at work, and from what I understand, a coworker of hers turns to her and says, I'm so afraid to read my Bible. And she responds something to the effect of, I don't know much, but I'll read it with you. There it is. There it is. That's discipleship. If giving is a chore more than a privilege, could it be that you lack an understanding of the gospel? See, the gospel is not a one and done. It's an ongoing transformation of the whole person. The shape of generosity is seen in our willing sacrifice, our privilege, and our discipleship of one another. Finally, we come to the signal of generosity. I wanted to keep it with all S's. I don't really like signal. But uh, we come to the signal of generosity. This is more like the call to generosity. This is the put-it-on-the-table conversation about generosity. And so here's what Paul writes in verses 8 and 9. We'll, we'll stick with verse 8 first. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Paul is telling them, <clears throat> he says, hey, I'm bringing this up not as a command. In other words, he's not using his authority as an apostle. He's not, he's not going that route, but he, here's what he does put on the table. He says, generosity proves or reveals whether or not your love is actually genuine. And I get it. Obviously, this is not the only way to demonstrate our love, but it is an important way. If you even consider some of the stories, it's an important way in which we demonstrate love. And when it comes to money, as said earlier, this topic cuts to the heart of what we really value. Here's what uh, the Apostle John writes. By this, we know love, that he laid his life down for us. In other words, you and I, as followers of Jesus, now clearly understand uh, what love is because of what Jesus has done for us first. And he continues, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. For John, he's saying, hey, love is more than an emotion. Love is an action. In short, John is saying, uh, talk is cheap. 
And so when we come back to 2 Corinthians, Paul is not wanting the Corinthians to compare themselves to the Macedonians. What Paul wants them and us to see is that they have an opportunity to demonstrate how much they've given themselves to Jesus through their generosity, just like the Macedonians. And so then Paul brings it all down to the gospel. This is verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's like a sermon series on its own, right? But in short, Paul brings it all back down to the gospel. He's saying all of this grace-shaped generosity is centered upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul now leaves the inspiring example of generosity from the Macedonians and now moves to the supreme example of generosity, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's Paul's point. Jesus is a giver. We know this not only because Jesus gives us grace, but because Jesus is grace. And we, as redeemed people, are evidence of that. Paul begins in in verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. He's saying, hey, you know it. We talk a lot about grace here from the pulpit. You know the grace of God for you. And so what Paul is saying, let it then impact you. Let it then impact you. Jesus has paid it all. We had a debt that we could not pay. Only Jesus could pay it for us. Jesus gave up his life for us. That's where Paul writes that he did this for your sake. He became poor. Jesus was rich in his pre-incarnation. He experienced the riches of heaven, the presence of angelic hosts. He was in perfect fellowship with the Father and Holy Spirit. He was infinitely rich. Yet, when he entered into time, space, and history, he became poor. He dwelt among us and was led to the cross in order to bring us into reconciliation with the Father. He was sinless so that we might become rich. Church, don't check out. You, if you belong to Jesus, are rich in grace. If generosity is shaped by grace, then let's sit there right now. You are rich in grace. How, How am I rich in grace? How does this work? It is by grace through Jesus that you are sons and daughters. By grace through Jesus, you have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. By grace through Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. By grace through Jesus, you have a new present hope and a new future in the presence of Jesus. By grace through Jesus, you have an eternal inheritance that no one can touch and no one can take from you. By grace through Jesus, you have God's favor 
by grace through Jesus, you have the forgiveness of your sins. By grace through Jesus, you have confident access to God our Father. Jesus did this all for you by impoverishing himself. The call to generous giving doesn't begin with your wallet. It begins with what we believe about grace through Jesus. The topic of finances is challenging because it's so personal, it could be so private, but on top of that, if we're honest, it's so revealing. Finances reveal where our hearts are truly at, where we secretly and carefully tuck away idols that we don't want to talk about, and where our hope truly lies. But let me just remind you, the grace of God for us, as mentioned earlier, brings about the forgiveness of sins and transformation. It brings about implication for this new life that we have. Our lives are shaped by this grace, not simply so that we would be better, but so that we would be more like Jesus. Grace shapes us to not simply be better humans, but to be truly human. The self-giving of Jesus leads us to respond to him with our own self-giving. The call to generosity is rooted deeply in the gospel. I want us to be a gospel-centered church that makes disciples of Jesus in all areas of life, to be healthy and whole disciples of Jesus. Therefore, I want us to be marked by generosity because we're motivated by grace. Let's say that one more time. I want us to be marked by generosity because we are motivated by grace. I know some of you are like, okay, give me the practical application. What does this look like for you? Okay, I got two things for you really quick. They're not in the notes. Here it is. Number one, what does God want you to do? I want you to begin with a God question. What does God want you to do? Start there. Number two, as you start there, perhaps, and we're going to talk about this more, but perhaps consider where you might find yourself. Maybe you're someone who maybe hasn't given. What does it take for you to ask God what he wants you to do for you to be a one-time giver? Right? So we're giving to the church one time. That's a big step. That's a big, that's a big deal. I'm not knocking that. If you're like, oh, I do that periodically, I think, maybe, probably. Okay, what would it look like for you to be consistent? Okay, you're like, oh, I'm pretty consistent. Okay, what would it look like for you to be sacrificial? Okay, well, I gotta, I gotta really, really pray now. Yep, yep, that's what we're gonna do in this series. We're gonna pray a lot. And you're like, okay, I think I do that. I give sacrificially. Great, praise God, that's awesome. What would it look like for you to give towards legacy? towards shade that you may not even see. Shade that you might not ever even sit under. We'll talk about that more, but I want you to begin with that question. What does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? And if you're not a Christian, I'm really glad that you're here. I'm really glad you're like, I knew he was going to talk about money. Good. 
it is no coincidence that you are here. And I got to tell you, you're in debt. You are in spiritual debt. And you can't pay your way out of it, no matter how good or how better you attempt to be. And if that's been your goal, how's it working for you? Yet, God doesn't leave you there because there is one who can cancel your debt with his credit, and his name is Jesus. I want you to come to him. Not to be better, but to be new. I want you to know Jesus, not so that everything is rainbow and butterflies, but joyful in spite of your circumstance. I want you to know Jesus because it is only Jesus who can satisfy your deepest need. Friends, generosity is not simply a reflection of what we've been given, but a reflection of having given ourselves entirely to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this afternoon. As it reminds us of the generosity of Jesus, who became flesh and dwelled among us. That by faith in him, we could be reconciled to you. Recipients of a grace that we could never earn. Free and forgiven from the guilt and shame of our sin. Holy Spirit, work in us to remind us that we are rich in grace. Work in us to have grace impact us so that we may be marked by generosity because we are motivated by the grace that you provide.